Hello everybody, this is Julian Charles of TheMindRenewed.com, coming to you as usual from the depths of the Lancashire countryside here in the UK. Today is the 1st of December 2015, which as far as some people are concerned is Christmas, but I can assure you it's not Christmas yet, I'm insisting it's not Christmas yet, and it's great to welcome back to the programme Tony Rook of KillingAuntyFilms.co.uk, although I'm not sure that website actually applies anymore, I'm not sure, I'll ask you about that in a minute Tony. Tony, who is a documentary filmmaker, joined us a couple of years ago to talk about his being very, very naughty and not paying his TV license uh, because to many of you it may seem very strange to say it but I'm going to say that we essentially have a kind of television tax in this country um, so if you don't pay your TV license you can get into trouble and he didn't pay for very good reasons that no doubt we will revisit during this conversation and he also joined us to talk about his film Offensive the story of Tony Farrell and so now two years on he joins us again to talk about his new film which is out on DVD and now I believe also available on YouTube called Incontrovertible described by Kevin Barrett as quote one of the best 9-11 movies ever made and billed as a film for coppers and firefighters by coppers and firefighters Tony well how has life been treating you over the last two years I mean it seems amazing to me that it is in fact two years but I checked back at the archive and it's actually over two years so how have you been getting on during all those months yeah, I mean, very busy, Julian, really. Um, you know, you, you do this stupid thing of asking people to, to donate money to make a film on 9-11, which is specifically aimed at police officers and firefighters and soldiers. They're the people I really wanted to get at. And, and, and it rolled in. And it was, it was great. And then, of course, you think, oh, crikey, <laughs> I've actually got to make the film. And so and, and I did make the film, but it did take a long time. I had to learn new film editing software and travel quite a bit. And um, the main protagonist in the film is a guy called Matt Campbell, who sadly lost his brother Jeff on 9-11. And we went to numerous cities in America and I went to various cities around um, Europe, etc. speaking to um, police officers, law enforcers, soldiers, etc., about why they, they don't believe in the official version. And, and, and the, the end result was the film Incontrovertible. And, and we hope that it's something that police officers and soldiers and uh, firemen will look at and think, well, hang on a minute, these are our people talking. This isn't a conspiracy movie. This is people who have studied the evidence. And, and the evidence is very good. I mean, I've been in front of a judge with this evidence and fared fairly well. And this is the problem we're trying to overcome, is the, uh, the ennui, the, the, the brainwashing, the, oh, I don't know, the, the complete indifference, if you like, of, of the public towards this problem. Um, and I suppose if you watch television all the time, you're not going to know about this problem. And, and I've come up against this many, many times. And so it's really down to the police and to the fire service to understand what the problem is and then do something about it. That's their job, or certainly the job of the police anyway. I mean, when you spoke to us last time, you said that you had this plan. But actually, I wasn't quite sure how you were going to do it. I mean, in my mind, from your description, first of all, I thought, you know, you were going to speak to these various police uh, officials and, uh, I don't know, firefighters or whatever it was. And perhaps they were all going to be in committee and you were going to film the committee with them all yeah. discussing it. Well, that was, no, you're quite right. That was, uh-huh. that was the initial idea to um, grab a jury, if you like, 12 people and, and, to, and to get them to the Conway Hall, as it happened, which was a place in London where, where the 9-11 Truth Movement have meetings and have 12 coppers, firemen, judges, you know, retired or otherwise and have a day of 9-11 Truth videos and, and evidence and speakers, etc., etc. But then I realised that, well, that would be rather static and a little bit dull yeah. as a film. And then during the, the, the course of the fundraising, we happened to raise about 30-odd thousand pounds. Now, 30-odd thousand pounds is nothing for a film. I mean, if you watch anything on the BBC, I mean, they do that a minute. And I can say that with some authority because I used to be an expenses clerk in the uh, drama um, series and serials department at the BBC, so I know what they spend on a production. So we had enough money for me to take Matt, who, who lost his brother, as I said, on 9-11, to America 
and speak to police officers and firefighters, etc., about how they felt about 9-11. So at least it gives it a bit of colour and it gives it a little bit of or just, a, just another dimension, really. It, it, it's not as dull as being sat in a, in a town hall, if you like. No, no I, was, I was really, really impressed. And I thought to myself, oh, I'm so glad that it, yeah. it isn't actually like that at all. In fact, it's a very professional quality uh, documentary film. You know, as I said to you before the interview started, in some ways I was thinking to myself, well, am I actually watching the BBC here? Not in terms of the content, but in terms of the quality of it, absolutely. So I do hope as many people as possible can get to see this, because I think it's going to have an impact on them. And also the content itself, the way that you build up a case by presenting all these various professionals expressing their concerns about the official story in various ways. It does tend to build up and, and make you think, well, yeah, there really must be genuine questions to ask here if even these professionals are asking these questions. So I think it's, you know, the content is very powerful and really well executed as well. And really, it has to be said that for a private project like this to raise £30,000 is really remarkable. Well, it it is and it isn't. I mean, we had one uh, very generous donor who put in an an unspecified amount, which really, really helped. Mm. And without that money, I don't really think I could have gone beyond the United Kingdom and and, and jumped on a plane with, with Matt. But um, we did, and once we had that money, I decided that's what we were going to do, and abandoned the idea of just having it in one room, if you like. Having said that, Julian, I still like the idea of, of getting a jury of 12 you know, police officers, firefighters, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and I still might do that. But if you watch the film, and, and I hope people will, they will see that there's far more than 12, and I think collectively, I've not even bothered to add it up, this is very unprofessional, we have hundreds of years of police experience firefighting experience, etc., turning around and saying, no, the official story is just not possible. It's a complete lie. And not only that, because the film is made specifically for police officers, you have to then illustrate to a policeman, well, this is the way you look at a crime. When you look at a crime, the first thing you do is, are there any known offenders for this particular crime in the area? And of course there are. There are known offenders for 9-11 before it even happened. And that, that was the American government, because they tried it in 1962. They tried to bomb Washington. They tried to bomb Florida. They tried to hijack aircraft. They tried to blow up ships and then blame it on Cuba to go to war. And it was called Operation Northwoods. And John F. Kennedy turned around and said, no, that's not going to happen. Now, what do you think happens with a man who tries to plan that kind of thing? And it was a man called General Lyman Lemnitzer and and others, the chiefs of staff at the time. And Lemnitzer was actually made the head of NATO in Europe. <laughs> it's, it's, absolutely, it, it's absolutely ridiculous. Indeed, as, as Daniela Ganza was saying on this program, around the same kind of time when the stay-behind armies tended to sort of morph into the gladio-like yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, formation over yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, indeed. It's, it's no yeah. coincidence. I mean, Daniel's in the film and he's a wonderful chap. Mm. But of course, most police officers, uh, and I know this in personal experience because my father was a police officer, my sister, my brother-in-law, they don't have a clue about this kind of history. And, well, they're not going to because all they do is watch television. And, and if you watch television, you're going to be the most uninformed person in the world. So how are you going to get this film in front of police officers? I mean, obviously, you've made it available on the net now, but you know, what, what's your strategy for getting it into the hands of police officers? Well, I mean, that's obviously I can't do it on my own. You know, the wonders of the internet, and we hope and we encourage uh, people who do buy the film or download it to mention it to friends in the police service, in the fire service, in the army, etc., and and to just spread it around. Really, it's, it's you know sure. So really what's uh, most important about this is not for everybody to advertise, oh, look, there's a really good 9-11 movie, but to say this is something specifically for this purpose. It, everybody needs to be articulating it in that way so that people know what to do with it. Yeah, it's it's not a film for the, the converted, if you like. A lot of people in the 9-11 Truth Movement have written to me having seen the film, so well, I knew this, I knew that. No, well, I, I know they did. That was patently obvious. But... <laughs> I, I get the same thing, Tony, actually. <laughs> do you? Yeah, yeah I, I, I do and I'm trying to sort of it's I'm trying to cope with both you know and but there's no point in just talking to the converted all the time because then you never convince anybody who's not already understanding the situation so you know you have to deal with both don't you yeah yeah it's very it's a very strange dynamic Julian I showed it to my parents the other week and and they've been sort of waiting with bated breath for some time for me to finish this film which took two years and I showed it to them 
And they were like, wow, I never knew that about Northwoods. I never knew, even though I told them before. But when they see it on a screen, for some strange reason, when they see it on a screen presented to them like the news, I suppose, it's like, oh, wow, I never knew. I said, Mum, I told you about that, you know, two years ago, three years ago, and all sorts of stuff. And then a couple of weeks later, they go back into denial. So it's very, very difficult. We have to understand what we're up against here. And then there are spiritual dynamics, there are psychological dynamics. Um, well, it's, that's interesting you should say this because I actually had an email from a listener not that long ago who had been in conversation with his mother about these concerns. And then he said something like, oh, well, then she saw a documentary on the television and she went back to her default position of, oh, well, there's no problem with it after all. Yeah. The, the, and, and this is a huge problem. And, and we've seen it a lot, I think, in, in the last sort of 14 days, what were the, the Paris attacks you know, despite people like Corbyn coming, and, and I don't like talking about politics, I don't like politicians as a rule. Personally, I, I think Jeremy Corbyn is an honest man, and, and good luck to him. I think he has the life expectancy of a fruit fly, personally. But he, he seems to be a, a fairly honest chap, doesn't want to go to war with anybody who was, was head of the Stop the War Coalition. The, the press have just turned against this bloke in such a massive way. For those of us who have a background, who have an understanding of the background of how these things work, it's quite obscene, and I and, and I mean that it really is obscene. Yeah, I just remembered something that Frankie Boyle, you know, the comedian, wrote. I don't remember where he wrote it now, but he said something like, you know, Jeremy Corbyn, he's not going to be on anybody's Christmas card list for the season, but he might be on another list immediately under the crossed-out name of Dr. David Kelly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he really does have the expectancy of a fruit fly. I mean, it, it, you cannot stand up to these people. Unfortunately, the vast majority of the British population are dumb enough to believe what they're presented with on the television, which is really, really tragic. I mean, you and I are both Christian people, and I think it's really, really sad that we've turned out to be some of the biggest perpetuators, not perpetrators, but perpetuators of crime on the planet, because we don't do anything. Forget the Catholic Church, I don't even count them, but, you know, some of the evangelical churches and some of the other churches, they do nothing about this. Because they don't study it. No. They just don't study it. And I think that's absolutely shameful. It is. It's very disturbing, actually. And I've said in a number of interviews that I've... I mean, last year... No, it was actually very early this year. I was really concerned because I went to one of these Christian festival-type places. And there was talk about the Christians in Syria, you know, being persecuted. And a chap from the Open Doors charity came on and talked about it. And the congregation was praying for Syrian Christians. And absolutely, that's what we should do. There's no question about that. But then at a certain point, we were told to stand up and hold up this piece of paper, which was a letter to David Cameron, and to say, oh, you've got to do something about this. And I thought to myself, well, what what are we asking David Cameron to do? You know what he's going to say. Oh, we need more bombing and that kind of thing. And I just thought the whole sense in that meeting was that it's all the other people who are doing the wrong there wasn't even the slightest sense within that meeting that anybody in the west had done anything wrong whatsoever and and i i really felt that deeply saddening i had to leave the room i don't know whether there are other people who left that hall i expect there were some but the vast majority just seemed to carry on with the narrative that was there in total ignorance and it was really really saddening and having done a podcast recently on um, extremism and reading something from they thought they were free that uh, book that was produced in the 1950s about people who had lived through the nazi era i use some of that in the podcast and uh, one of the chapters is by a guy who you know expresses great concern about the apathy of people at the time and how they just didn't realize that they were being incrementally lied to and things were getting worse and worse and I just think to myself well that sort of thing must have been going on at the time and people in the churches were just as apathetic as anybody else and are we seeing a sort of recapitulation to some extent of that kind of thing going on here today and it's deeply saddening yeah it, it is deeply saddening and and um I don't even think it's a, even a recapitulation I think it's just always been the case I think um the, the churches for a long time have been just brainwashed and uh, sadly content to go along with the status quo and, and, and consider themselves spirit-filled. Well, they're not spirit-filled at all. I do know about things like Armageddon. I do understand the end of the world and the Bible. And I believe the book of Revelations, etc. But could we not try and delay this just for a while? You know, give some kids a chance. You know, the horrors of this are absolutely shocking. And the church are just completely oblivious to it. Because 
I think the simplest way of putting this, Julian, is they watch too much television. <laughs> they, they just watch too much television. I yeah. don't think there's any other way of explaining it. They're just stupid. Or they've been stupefied, if you like. We've allowed ourselves to become so much like the world. I mean, I'm using the word world there in its theological context. Yes. You know, we really need to be students of the word of God, what God actually says to us. And I mean, it's very clear if you look into the words of the prophets in the Old Testament, you know, they are seeing wrong and they're calling it out within their own nation. And they get flogged, they get thrown down wells and all sorts of stuff. Mm. And even Jesus himself, you know, there's that, I often get it at church, this idea that Jesus is the meek and mild, and there's that dreadful carol, isn't it, once in David's royal city, and, <laughs> and about, you know, he's our childhood's pattern, and, and he was meek and mild, or whatever the words are, but something like that. And I, that's absolutely dreadful, because, of course, he called out evil when he saw it, didn't he? Yeah. Quite vociferously at times. I don't, have you seen that painting of the angry Christ? I think that's absolutely fantastic. I, I may have done. I'm pointing directly at you as the person looking at the painting, and it's you know the the, the point of accusation. And I just think, yeah, that's a side of Jesus that is there in the New Testament, so often ignored. No, Jesus got well off on occasion, and I don't blame him. And I think he is now. Mm. And I, I think he's he, he's extremely with the church. I mean, they're about as revolutionary as a tablecloth. I mean. <laughs> There's nothing <laughs> yes, about yes. the church to recommend them to anybody yes, that, at the moment. That, is re that really, really annoys me. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Tony, can I just say, I'm going to have to cut out every swear word. Yes, absolutely. Sorry, have I put in a few? You have, so can you oh, try, right, okay. try not to do that? It's just a policy I have on iTunes. You know, it says, this is a clean one. I have to just keep it clean, all right? I've got no personal objection. It's just that I know some other people might and... Or might say, oh, well, you're not yeah. clean, and, and complain to iTunes, you see, okay? so Yeah, sorry about that, mate. No, I had to do the same thing with, I mean, controvertible. Um, I've, I've had some Muslim people write to me and say, can you remove that word? I said, no. <laughs> well, that's your prerogative. This it. is my show, so you have to. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. It's, it's, no, no, not at all. I'm not offended. It's just a pure policy thing. I don't want to get chucked off iTunes because I've falsely labelled it. Yes. That's what it boils down to. Right, right. No, God forbid, we don't want to upset iTunes. No, I, well, I don't want to be chucked off iTunes. <laughs> I don't care otherwise. No, 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 quite yeah. right. Yeah, quite um, right. Where, where were we up to? Um, um, we were complaining about the church. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Should we, yeah. should we leave them alone now? I think we've probably done a, a fairly good job on that one. I think so. I wanted to come back to the business about television, actually, and the power of television, because one of the devices that you have in the movie is um, the television itself, because you use a lot of freestanding televisions and uh, tablet screens sort of out in rubbish heaps and on the beach, and, and, you, and you superimpose onto those screens news footage that you're describing in, in the movie. And, I mean, I've got my own idea of why you did it that way. It's a very, really interesting way of doing it. Can you explain what was in your mind with that? Well, the first reason, I hate to tell you, was not artistic, was pragmatic, because when you use news footage, which you've downloaded off YouTube, uh, the smaller you make the image, the better quality you get. Oh, yeah. um, and so I was thinking, oh, crikey, because I'm going to have to obviously use a lot of news footage in this film. Whilst I was shooting in HD for the interviews and, and uh, some scenic shots in San Francisco where Matt was and in England, all that, I was using my own camera, which is a high-definition camera, I was going to have to cut back to this news footage. And so I came up with a device, if you like, to use this footage in a small screen sense because it would look better. Um, I came up with the idea that it had been thrown away and it was rubbish and it was um, discarded. Um, and I went down my local amenity tip. <laughs> Great trouble, actually, <laughs> trying to shoot a box of televisions for an afternoon and there's some Jobsworth bloke saying, why are you doing this, mate? You can't do this as a council. <laughs> I, oh, I can imagine no, that absolutely. It was. That's it was yeah. Oh, absolutely. Paying the council tax, albeit reluctantly. So anyway, yeah. we got that done, and then uh, me and the missus went down the the beach. I live. I'm quite fortunate to live near West Whittering Beach. It was a beautiful beach, very popular with surfers on the uh, Sussex coast, and just took a load of um, screens and mobile phones down there and did that as well because it just does look better when it's on a small screen because you, you put it full screen, it, it pixelates everywhere and looks horrible. So I came up with a device in the script that you may want to go somewhere quiet to watch all this and then dump all these mobile phones and screens in the sand, etc., etc. So that was really how that came about. Yeah, yeah. But you say there was some 
from an artistic point of view, when you, you had that pragmatism and then you said, well, I'm going to use this to make a point. So mm. am I right then that part of your point is to say that these are images that have formed your way of looking at the world, but now just look how ephemeral they are. And they're now on the scrap heap along with a TV screen itself that's out of date. Yeah, I mean, they're very much images that have formed my, um, my, my view of the world. And, and they have been sidelined. They have been, if you like, jumped and, uh, and thrown away. I mean, the BBC um, have certainly, even on, on, on the day itself, lost the footage of uh, World Trade Center going seven. They found it rather quickly afterwards when the whole world pointed out they had it on, on the internet and they'd recorded it. So that's, I suppose, is uh, I don't know, metaphor but um yeah it certainly those images are extremely uh, important for me yeah yeah i think it worked extremely well actually um i did say that i was going to take issue with one thing and actually this brings together we were talking about the church and about the beginning of the film and one thing that you included at the beginning of the film was this well you, you sort of present the audience with a dichotomy or <laughs> almost like a logical argument that um you know, you either believe this is controlled right. demolition or you believe in miracles. And I have a bit of an issue with that because the implication is that miracle is irrational. To believe in miracle is irrational. And, well, I don't believe that it is. And I think if you formulate it properly, uh, as some analytical theologians have done, then it doesn't actually result in a violation of natural law. Um, so I just wondered why you... You went down that route. No, I agree with you. And, and this is one of the areas of the film where I had to go against what I believe in uh, for the, the, the greater good. That's probably not the right phrase, but the, for the greater good, as, as far as I was concerned, in reaching people, an audience who I felt were not inclined to believe in miracles, were not inclined to believe violations of the laws of physics etc etc so that was something that i i grabbed off niels harrett who i think arrives in the movie about an hour odd in but no i do believe in miracles obviously i'm a christian person so i do believe in in in, in lazarus being raised from the dead but i would stand by the fact that it is a violation of of the laws of nature in as much as we know them for a policeman we know them for people who watch Dave Attenborough on a Tuesday night. We know them for, yeah. for the majority. For Christians, no. Miracles are possible. And, and I've watched lots of videos and, and I'm aware of lots of miracles that, that have happened. And I, and I do believe in them. And I pray for them every day, including, you know, 9-11 being exposed for what it was. Absolutely. So I just wondered why you did it that way, because you didn't actually, I don't want to go, you know, there's a major issue, but it's an interesting part of the conversation. Yeah. I just wonder whether you didn't have to do it that way, because I mean, I looking at the idea itself, you could have put it, you know, either this is controlled demolition, or you believe the official story, and you have to accept the laws of physics didn't apply that day. So I just wondered, you know, why you went that route when you didn't have to. Well, I asked a two-word answer, Julian. I'd probably say dramatic license. Okay. Okay. Hopefully Jesus won't get too upset with me on that one. (laughs) <laughs> it's got plenty of other reasons to get upset with them. Well, that's that's not, not, when I say yes, that's true. I don't mean you. I mean me. <laughs> <laughs> that's not necessarily judgment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, that was just a little point. I mean, as I say, the rest of it, I thought you know, was absolutely great. So, loads of things to ask you about. Really, um, the uh, the guy who you got to narrate the film, Michael Culver, I believe his name is. What a great voice. Really sort of gritty, but at the same time well-spoken. You know, I, I thought that was a, a great combination yeah. there. Where did you find him? Well, Michael's a bit of a fluke. I was, I was going to ask a lady called Laurie Van Orkin, whose, whose husband Ken died in, in uh, one of the Twin Towers on 9-11, because I felt that the market was, at the time, I felt that the market was more American as opposed to British. I then changed my mind, and Michael wrote to me out of the blue, Michael is a devout atheist, doesn't like even mentioning the word miracle actually funny <laughs> enough and he'd seen a film i did on tony farrell which was oh, i say overtly christian it wasn't overtly christian but but tony happened to be a, a devout christian and um who'd, who'd spoken truth to power as a, as a principal intelligence analyst for uh, south yorkshire police and i made this tiny little film for about a thousand quid on tony and michael had seen it he said yeah i like your film but i'm happy to do the voiceover on this one if you want me but I don't, I don't want it to be a, a you know, happy, clappy Jesus film. And I said, well, okay, fair enough. I wasn't planning on doing that. Um, but Michael has done loads of stuff. He was in Star Wars movies. He was in Passage to India. He'd done loads of stuff in the BBC. He's a very accomplished actor. Right. Done stage versions of the Stephen Lawrence trial. God bless him. A very accomplished actor. 
And I sort of thought about it, and I thought, well, I don't look a gift horse and all that sort of thing. And so I asked him to do it, and we did the voiceover in two days. And I thought, yeah, that kind of works. And, and so we stuck with it. Yeah, great choice. You know, very, very fortunate. The music, am I right in thinking you created a lot of the music yourself? I did all the music. I am actually a musician. I get very offended. <laughs> People say, you did the music? Yeah, no, no, no. That was, I've been doing music long before I did this kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, no, I did all the music. And, and, and that's the most enjoyable part of the film for me was writing the music. Because it saves a lot on copyright as well, Julian, because when you put films on YouTube, especially with 9-11 films, one of the first things I'll do is say, take that down, yes. you've used Dire Straits or you've used Sting or you've used whoever you've used, and, that, and they can take it down on copyright issues, but they can't do that because it's all my music. So, yeah, Very wise. Yeah, You did have a problem, didn't you, with your other movie? Wasn't that taken down? Yeah, Tony Farrell was taken, is still taken down. Yeah. It's strange, the Tony Farrell film took, three years to get to 17,000 views, which is not a lot, is it? 17,000. That's not even Portsmouth Football Stadium. And and incontrovertible, thank goodness, has has got to 17,000 views in a few days. How long it will stay there, I don't know, but they can't take it down because of the music, that's for sure. Well, unless people object to it being... (laughs) <laughs> which I'm sure they won't because that will be totally unreasonable, yes. <laughs> Mother's been an email already. <laughs> the thing with music on a film is that you shouldn't really notice it. But sure. But I mean, I, I notice it because I'm a musician, so I'm, that's what I'm listening for. Um, did you like it? I did. Yes, I did. I, I noticed it and I thought it worked extremely well. Uh, in, in that kind of way, it doesn't jump out at you. It fits what's going on really well. Good, yeah. Good, cheers. And I really like the introductory sequence. Of course, you, you have this prologue, don't you? And then you get the credit sequence. Um, yeah, it's about two minutes of just message. Yeah. Yeah. And that's lovely in itself because you have all these clips from these call-in shows where various official people, in, I, I don't know who they are, senators or whatever, are being asked questions by people calling into these call-in shows. And over, over the top of that, of course, you have your, your, your credit sequence and uh, with the music. And I thought it was really, really good, that introduction. Yeah, we have a pre-credit sequence. It's almost as long as Spectre. <laughs> <laughs> it, I think they did, they did a few more quid than we did on the first weekend. <laughs> oh, it's a touch of class, though, definitely, because as soon as that sequence yeah. kicks in, you think, oh, yeah, well, that feels absolutely right, yeah. Mm. Um, one of the main ways in which you hang this together, of course, is by placing in very prominent position towards the beginning all this business of the BBC reporting Building 7 going down before it went down. Obviously the famous report there with Jane Stanley and Philip Hayton there in the, in the BBC studio. Um, am I right in thinking that that was something that was part of your case against the BBC when you didn't pay your licence and you had those court hearings? Yeah, very much. And one of the pivotal things when we went to court against the BBC was if, if somebody's going to tell you something has happened before it has happened, I think I'm quite justified in, in saying, well, where did you get that information? And I've never to this day, Julian, been told where they got that information Reuters, isn't that the official position? Yeah, but well, no, that's as I think as, as I say in the film, um, that's like saying where does sugar come from? Where is the original source for this information? Where is the original source for sugar? And the BBC have effectively turned around and said, well, Reuters. Well, that's like saying Tesco is for sugar. It's not sugar beet, is it? They've never ever bothered. They're actually very reluctant and very scared, actually, to, to say where the original source comes from. And they also lied about it. That The BBC have, have turned around on television as well, going out to millions of viewers, and said, oh, well, the, the day was very, very confusing. We, we, we reported the collapse of that building, but we always use words like possibly, could have, and, and qualified it as if it was an uncertainty but they didn't do that. That is a complete lie. Philip Hayton, if you watch the report, and it's very clear in the film and controversial, said the building has indeed collapsed. Yes. Has collapsed. He's always saying it has gone down. They, they just lied about it. They don't want anything to do with that report at all. And, and then, of course, you watch the collapse of the building, and to any right-minded individual, it's been demolished. And so that was a part of your case that, in your view, the BBC was covering up for a terrorist act. And that was why you decided not to pay your TV licence. Now, I was going to say that, of course, a lot of people won't have heard that first interview. Do you want to just explain briefly why it is you did that? Well, yeah, because um, according to Section 15, Article 3 of the Terrorism Act, 2000, if you have reasonable cause to believe that you could be furthering the purposes of terrorism 
then obviously you don't give any money towards it. You know, if a guy comes up to you in a pub and says, well, you know, I'm thinking of bombing the chip shop down the road, you're not going to give him any money, are you? And the BBC have effectively, through their distortion and cover-up of all the available information we now have on 9-11, and, and, and the available information we now have on 9-11 is so great, it completely destroys the official story. The BBC are effectively protecting the the people who actually did it, who cannot possibly have been the 19 alleged hijackers as advertised, unless these are extraordinary Muslims. You know, these are, these are guys who are going to strip clubs, doing cocaine, uh, liked booze, you know, and uh, couldn't fly aeroplanes, and it goes on and on and on. And I'd urge people to watch the film if they want to learn more about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've got it here in front of me, actually, copy and pasted from my previous interview, so I'll just read that one sentence there. So this is the Terrorism Act 2000 that you referred to, and we've got here Section 15, Fundraising, Part 3, and it says a person commits an offence if he provides money or other property and knows or has reasonable cause to suspect that it will or may be used for the purposes of terrorism. So your case was that if you give money to the BBC, they're covering up for a terrorist act, so you can't possibly give them your money. No. You'd be breaking the law to do so. Yeah. Okay, so what happened? Briefly, you went to court twice and... Yeah, I mean, we had a preliminary hearing at a Crawley Magistrates Court. And magistrates, of course, are not trained lawyers. They're, they're just members of the public. And, and they just turned around and said, oh, crikey, we don't know what to do with this. They passed it up to a district judge, a guy called Stephen Nichols, who... I, I have my suspicions, Julian. I don't know. I think he was a Christian person. He reviewed the evidence and turned around to me and he refused to find me. And he refused to instruct me to, to buy a new TV licence. And I had to pay court costs. And even the prosecuting lawyer donated to my court costs, which were £200. Wow. When you say he, re he refused to instruct, what, what do you mean he refused to instruct you to get a TV licence? Well, effectively, what it is, it's strict liability. This is one of the frustrating things with the law. And I, and I use the law, the word law loosely in this country because I don't think we have any real law anymore. He said, Mr. Rook, you've admitted you're guilty of not having a TV licence. And I said, yes, absolutely. I don't have one, but I don't have one because of Section 15, Article 3. This is a conflict of law. And he said, OK, I recognise that, but we can't deal with that in this case. Yeah. And I said, well, great. You know, and you think, well, why the hell am I here? He said, well, I'm sorry, Mr. Rook, but you're guilty. I said, OK. What do you want me to do now? Do you want me to buy a TV license? Because I know I will be breaking the law. And I said to him, do you want me to commit a crime, sir? And he looked me in the eye and said, I've, I've said all I've got to say. And he left right. the room. He would not instruct me to do that. That's incredible. So we have this kind of isolation of one law from another. So that one law doesn't impact upon any other area of law, that seems... Well, it does if you've got millions and millions of pounds. Yeah. And, and you wanted to take it further and further and further. And, and the judge did say that to me. He said, look, you can appeal this, you can use common law and all that. He was quite... I, I actually do think he was a Christian. But he was... People get scared. People get scared. And, and I understand that. I appreciate that. I bottle it quite frequently. And, sure. um, and I think he did. But he gave me the best get-out he could. So in a moral sense, it was a victory for you, really, wasn't it? Well, it was a moral victory. Well, I mean, there's, there's no two ways about it, and that's certainly the way we feel about it in the truth movement. Yeah. Um, right, OK. I wanted to ask you a couple of other things about the technique of the movie, really, and you've already mentioned about Matt Campbell, yeah. whose brother Jeff died in one of the Twin Towers. Yeah. And, uh, of course, the way you use Matt is we see the interviews through his eyes, as it were, because he's conducting these interviews. And I like the way that you introduce him as a non-violent extremist and a threat to democracy. Um, and that's great, of course, because it's poking fun at all these ridiculous slogans that are brought out about people who question the official line on things. But we are then, as the audience, invited to see things through the eyes of this extremist, and it turns out that he's quite a rational person, really concerned about what happened to his brother. Great way of doing it. Yeah, Matt's a very rational person. He's um, he studied physics at university. He's a very bright chap, and his mother's a very rational person as well. And of course, this is a product, uh, uh, Mr. Cameron, whose who's speech at the United Nations comes up early in the film um, about you know those who doubt the official narrative of, of 9/11 and uh, the London bombings, etc. And of course, if you bother to study either narrative, that they come up very short. Um, and so Matt is very useful from that point of view, not just because of the emotional dynamic, 
but because he is just such a sound and, and down to earth chap, he actually doesn't say very much in the film until until towards the end. Yeah. And and we kept it that way deliberately because it's it's a waste of time having somebody ask questions. That, you know, you lose like sort of ten seconds oh, ago, yeah. and the film's too long as it is to be honest. Sure, in a film, I can see that you would want to do it. That yeah. Way. yeah. Well, one of the great things about having him do that is that it puts the light to this propagandistic idea that somehow to question such events is to be an offence to the victims of these events, which, of course, is complete nonsense. We do hear that occasionally. And there he is yes. concerned himself and asking yeah. questions. I think it's great. Absolutely. I mean, that's one of the first pieces of propaganda they always use, is that it, it's an offence to the, to the victims of the day. Yeah. Of course, it's not. Mm. Um course you you visit a lot of people in the film uh, a lot of professional individuals quite a an, an array actually um you've already mentioned that you spoke to dr daniela ganza you speak to other people like richard gage of course but people i've never heard of before there's Absolutely. one guy called um detective sergeant ray savage i actually have heard that name before i don't know anything about him from sussex police and i was very amused that as he was talking he had a tortoise uh, go across his garden <laughs> i don't know if you noticed that <laughs> Yeah, this is really weird. This has come up about three or four times when people watch it. I mean, Ray's got a lovely house in near Lewis in, in, in um, East Sussex, and he, he does have a couple of tortoises. And this thing just crawled across in the background, and actually you can see both of us laughing a little bit, which you shouldn't be, really, because we're talking about, a, 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 you know... A, a, I, wonder, I wondered if you'd set that up deliberately. No, I, no, I didn't. I, 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 I'm not capable of curing a tortoise, I can assure you of that. And this little thing just trotted along in the background. But um, no, nothing to do with me. He just he just walked across. I hope you cut this out, eh? Because it's not very important in the film. <laughs> no, absolutely no. It was just a sort of... I might, might leave it in, but it was just a whimsical yeah, thing. Yeah. And by contrast, by contrast, yeah, yeah. of course... You... The criticism about the church, but leave the <laughs> toys in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, you chat to this, uh, you, ha you have this interview with this guy called uh, Dale Pierce, um, who's a former firefighter and the father of a serviceman, Noah Pierce, who committed suicide after serving in Iraq. And the things that his father described were absolutely dreadful about witnessing children being shot according to order. And wasn't he instructed to shoot somebody who turned out to be a doctor or something like that? Was that right? Yeah, there was a checkpoint in one of the roads in Iraq where Noah was, and a doctor had come back home. He'd been called by his family. The house had been bombed. He was obviously worried about his family. He was very distressed. He, he obviously looked different. I think that's uh, Dale's words. Yeah. And the order came down for Noah, who was uh, a serving soldier at the time, to shoot the guy. And he shot him and, and got him in the neck and killed him. And it, it turned out then that the, the guy was a doctor and of no threat to anybody, quite the opposite, actually. Yeah. Noah took a photograph on his mobile phone, which apparently soldiers do when they've killed somebody, if they can. And I did ask Dale if he wanted to release the picture, and he said yes, he would. And then we both decided, because of the family of the deceased doctor, that we wouldn't put it in the film. But that is the reality of war, unfortunately. And, and of course, the piece preceding that is how all these young soldiers, and they are young, they're pretty much kids, are asked then to shoot children even younger than they are mm. in the name of Queen and Country or, you know, President and Country. Mm. You have this quote from one of his letters back home, and I'll just read a little mm. bit of it here. Um, quote, this is Noah Pierce writing to his family, War is horrible, it effing sucks here. It sounds like you guys in the States are for the war. All the soldiers I know, including me, think it's a bunch of BS. We came in and invaded this country and murdered a lot of innocent people. So tell me how we are heroes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I mean, I, I don't know how anyone can argue with that. How anyone thinks that the invasion of Iraq was heroic in any measure is lost on me. And, and this will be the same thing, well, it is the same thing now, that we're, we're, we're bombing Syria. We've seen the effects of, of, yeah. of bombing Iraq and the creation of ISIS. And ISIS, of course, are working with American um, weaponry because they left it all behind by accident, apparently. <laughs> yeah, they couldn't possibly have predicted what would happen to that. That's right. No, no absolutely yeah, not. Yes, yes. Uh, and, of course, the whole thing goes on. And um, I was looking at the, the, the stock market the other day. Defence shares have risen by 2%, which is an awful lot of money when you look at defence shares. Yeah. Um, and it just goes on and on and on. And this is... I wish I'd made a more Christian movie 
to be honest, Julian. If I failed in anything, then I didn't make a more Christian movie, and that was out of cowardice, because I really feel that the Christian church has fallen on its face and failed completely in objecting to this lunacy that is happening. I totally agree with you. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Which is, you know, part of what I'm doing. Great. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I could keep quiet about my faith. And if I did so, no doubt I'd get a lot more listeners. But, you know, what's the point? You've got to be true to who you are. Hmm. Can I come back to the business of actually reaching people who are in the forces? I mean, one thing that they would have to be yeah. impressed by, I think, is the fact that you spoke to Judge Ferdinando Posimato, who is none other than the honorary president of the Italian Supreme Court. And I first saw him at the Toronto hearings in 2011. I didn't go there, but of course I saw the videos of it. And he was being presented with all this evidence and he was you know, <laughs> assessing it and he's on part of the panel there. And here he is in your movie. Presumably you actually met him in person. You can answer that in a moment. And he's saying, you know, after 14 years of looking at this, Building 7 went down by controlled demolition. He's absolutely clear about it. Oh, absolutely. I did meet Ferdinando in person. We met in a, a hotel outside of Rome. Uh, he turned up carrying two briefcases full of documents, which were really heavy, and he wouldn't let me carry either of them. Um, and we had to agree to film the interview outside of my hotel room on the balcony. I mean, I've got an establishing shot of somewhere else in Rome, but we actually shot it in my hotel room on the balcony. So he was a little bit nervous, but so would you be. I mean, his brother was shot dead by the mafia. And that, yeah, that, I mean, that's, we're know. talking about the mafia in, in a broader sense, aren't we, all, all the time? Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Well, if you, stand, you, know, you know where you stand with the mafia. You don't know where you stand with the British government. You know where you stand with the mafia. And they, and they shot his brother. Mm. But Ferdinando's been in, in incredibly courageous and um, also determined in, in exposing the truth of 9-11 and has studied it extremely well. In fact, most of it, it was a very strange interview, Julian, because he kept lapsing in and out of Italian. And I, I, I unfortunately, I don't speak Italian. And um, he said, how would you like me to speak? And I said, well, do what you want. And I thought, oh, crikey, I'll just have it translated into, in, into English. And I ran out of money. So I had to sort of desperately scramble around and think, well, let's just stick to the bit he did on Building 7. And I did get him to address the camera directly right at the end and say, could you just speak to soldiers and policemen and whatever? And, and because of his background, because of his CV, I felt he carried a certain weight and, and a quality that, that, that soldiers and, and firemen and police officers especially would respect. You know, when you've had your brother shot dead by the mafia and you, and you say, well, up yours, I'm still going to carry on doing what I, I do, which is what he did. And he then went on to work for the United Nations as a legal advisor against the, the um, South American drug cartels. This guy has got, you know, well, balls, uh, for want of a better word. Um, and, and he speaks very plainly about Building 7, very, very briefly, and then does a little address to camera at the end saying, look, guys, you know, please wake up, please do something. He's, if you like, the godfather of the 9-11 truth movement. I don't mean, I mean that in a <laughs> way, obviously, but, but he is. And, and, uh, Perhaps the grandfather. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's a lovely man, and, and he's a lovely man, and a Christian, I believe. Oh, oh that's great. It was a really good yeah, touch, of course, to have his interview there, quite late on in the film, but it seemed to sum up with his gravitas a lot of what had been said, and uh, I think a lot of people will be impressed by that, rightly impressed by that. And I love the way at the end of the film when you're running your credit sequence where you, you have those sort of photoshopped images of various people being held in custody. <laughs> you, have, yes. you have Tony Blair in the dock, you have Obama in custody with a couple of cops behind him, apparently on Fox News. You've got Cheney under arrest, you've got Kissinger presented with handcuffs and uh, George W. in handcuffs. I think that's absolutely great. <laughs> yeah, they're not my photographs. I stole them off enterprising young truthers of, uh, of the internet, so I hope they'll forgive me. I, I just I didn't do any of those and um, I just grabbed them and, and put them in as a as a little um, added visual at the at the end. But I'm sure they'll forgive you because that's what they created them for. So I'm absolutely, sure absolutely. Yeah. So I hope you give them a little bit of a wider audience. Uh, but they're great. They're great work. And um, and and that really is what we're aiming for. I mean, of course, you know, we have to have trials. We have to have hearings. And, and none of these people are proven guilty unless we've had those. But uh, you know, if they can't take a joke, then. Uh, there you go. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's a great touch, certainly. So you've uh, got it online now. Um, you've had it under a password for a while because you sent me the password, but now I believe it's online for free on YouTube. Is that right? Yeah, and I'm hoping you can tell me what the uh, the link is because I can't remember where it was. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it is. It's, it's available on YouTube now, and so people can go and watch it. If you if you just 
Google incontrovertible uh, new film by Tony Rook, Rook Rooney, will come up. And certainly for Christian people, I think they need to see it. The, the, the time has come. Mm. Listen, you know, if, if you want World War Three, do nothing. You know, give your children half a chance. Don't live in ignorance. Don't just sit there in front of the TV and like my parents and watch, you know, dancing or what's it, what's it called? Strictly come dancing, whatever they watch. And, and just believe this tidal wave of manure that you're getting. Do a little bit of research, please. Just a little bit. It doesn't take long. Like John says in the film, that, you know, 32-year uh, police officer uh, from California, just take a break from the TV for half an hour a week. It's not going to kill you. Just do a little bit of research. And, 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 and you'll be amazed at what you find out. You really will be amazed at what especially Building 7. Just look at Building 7. Absolutely. Yeah, well, I hope that people will, of course, and a lot of people who are listening to this podcast will already have, have done that and be doing that. Uh, but you never know. There's always a possibility that somebody hasn't or know somebody who hasn't. And uh, hopefully they will <laughs> do that or even have this movie passed on to them, which would be fantastic. You've, especially if they're mm-hmm. friends in the police force or the army yeah, yeah. or the fire. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, you've had physical premieres of this in various places, haven't you? I mean, I know that you had one at Preston University a few weeks back because I was told about it, but unfortunately I couldn't go cause in the middle of the week, but that's just the way things go. But uh, how have those premieres gone? Yeah, the first one we had, uh, the first premiere, <laughs> the first premiere we had was um, in London in um, a small cinema in Brixton, a uh, world cinema, which was for the converted. It was it was very, very much for people who already switched on to the problems that we have with London. And um, it was well received. But then we were very um, unexpectedly invited to the University of Central Lancashire in Preston by a chap called Bill McCoy, who, who runs the screenwriting course up there in the, in the media department, and said, you know, we'd like to show the film. And I was quite shocked because a lot of universities won't touch this material or not allowed to touch this material. But we, we showed it and we had about 60 or 70 um, young people turn up, oh, well all studying media in, in various ways. Mm-hmm. And we had a show of hands before the film, uh, who believes the official narrative of 9-11, I'd say maybe 50%, mm-hmm. which is probably typical actually of nowadays, who believes the official version of 9-11. Absolutely. And at the end of the film, nobody's hand went up, which was great. That was satisfying for me as the filmmaker, and nobody believed it by the end of the film. So they shouldn't. No, and so to yeah. use David Cameron's terminology then, well, 50% of the population are already extremists. You're turning everybody into an extremist. What a naughty boy you are. <laughs> well, I, absolutely. Unless, of course, David Cameron is um, a threat to the country, which, uh, which I suggest he is. But, yeah, absolutely, yeah. No, the man's a liar and a fraud. Well, I agree with you. Um, now... I would normally mention your website, but I'm not going to because it's changed, hasn't it? The last time I looked at it, it I think it was redirected to something else. Do you want to explain what's going on with your URL? Oh, Killing Auntie Film? Well, yeah, really. I mean, I just felt, I said this to my web designer, that everything that we covered on the website before is actually in the film. So can we just put the website, and you can still go to Killing Auntie Films, and, and it will take you to, um, I, I think in time, I think Adrian, who's my web designer, is going to, change it a little bit and so you have a menu and go back to the BBC court case but the BBC court case is covered in the film and that's really all the website yeah. was about was the BBC court case but the, the BBC court case is covered fairly well in the film okay so where should people go then well, they obviously can follow the link that I already have on the website but I want to put up a new link is, is there a, a simpler way of finding your website I would just go to Killing Auntie Films, www.killingauntiefilms.co.uk, and, and you will, I'm afraid, have to watch Incontrovertible. Right, okay, so it'll uh, just redirect to the new website. Yeah. yeah, it will just make you watch the film, and, and so you should. Absolutely, <laughs> yes, and there's a reason why we're having this conversation, absolutely, yeah. So absolutely. do, please, everybody, go and check out that film. It's now there for free. It's in high quality, high definition. No, it's, it's not. Uh, it's not in high definition. <laughs> no, it's not in high definition. Oh. It's in standard definition. Well, what, what was the version that I saw then on Vimeo? Um, I think the one you saw might have been slightly high definition than the one that's up there. No, I don't think... No, it's not high definition. You, you want to see it on Blu- Blu-ray, mate. It's, it's beautiful. Okay. So I must have seen it in medium definition, but people can go and see it in standard definition. Possibly. <laughs> Sorry about that, everybody. You can go and see it in standard yeah, definition yeah. if you go on YouTube, but uh, it's still worth seeing. It's uh, very, very... Yeah, good. yeah. Shut your eyes and listen. <laughs> No, it's a, it's a great production, so, uh, yeah, I shall make links to it, of course, of course. Uh, do you have any new projects at all, or are you just... Uh, Absolutely you, you're not. You're just relaxing. 
absolutely not. No, I'm stuffing envelopes and sending the things out to people who are kind enough to buy it at the moment, which is which is great. But no, it was it was extremely tiring, and um, the wife is not very happy with me, as you can imagine. I'd love to do another one, but not for a while yet. Gosh, you know. Perhaps you should do what you said that you wish you had done and do one that's actually directed at Christians specifically. And then, you know, miss out the logical error about miracle. (laughs) (laughs) And and perhaps not just focus on, or you don't just focus on 9-11, of course, in this one, do you? You do talk about war more generally as well. But, um, you know, even more broadly than you have done with this project, uh, because, uh, as you say, the church needs to wake up to this stuff. I think the church is a sleeping giant. And, Mm. um, of course, the thing that always preys on my mind, Julian, is that we are dealing with something that is preordained. You know, if you're a Bible believer, and I am, I do think this is this is just a stepping stone. Nine Eleven, etc., is, is a stepping stone on the path to Armageddon, and and those of us who've studied, I always want to say escapology, but that's not the right word. Is it? <laughs> eschatology, but you are in a sense yeah, asking yeah. for an escapology there, aren't you? Yes. Yeah, yeah. How can we get out of this? <laughs> yeah. Um, and 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 so I just want to try and delay it for a little bit. You know, it wouldn't be nice to have a little period of peace before the what hits the fan but i don't know if that's going to happen mm. uh, i don't know if that's going to happen and, and we could be swimming against the tide on this and and it may well be a biblical tide it may it may be you know god sitting up there and thinking well tone thanks for trying but i'm sorry mate it ain't going to happen i i have a, a friend in the united states who, who who was an executive producer on the film put some money into the film and he's he's a big christian guy and um he said exactly what you said or should we do a if you like a Christian version of this, and I'm thinking, well, what's the point? If they should just be able to watch this and do something about it, you know, I don't see why I should have to dress it up with you know bells and smells. No, but you had said yourself that you wish you had directed it more, or you'd made it more Christian in some way. So I was really just reflecting what you'd said to me. I fought shy of it a little bit because I knew I was dealing with an audience that probably wasn't as Christian as thee and me. But that was the nature of the beast on this one. If, if I could have done a, a version for the churches, then that would have been great. But I don't really want to go through the whole process again. No, no. but the only thing that I would say about that is that I could see how the film could alienate Christians because of your correct accusation against the church. I do agree with you. But there could have been a way of, you know, if, if you were targeting Christians more to nuance that and to say, well, look at what jesus was like is the church in this respect reflecting what he was like the answer of course will be no mm. so we need to refine the true christ in this modern situation um because if we don't then we are falling prey to these essentially evil forces that are taking advantage of us essentially yeah no i i, I appreciate your point i do appreciate your point and and i suppose that's something i could have done but i would have because of the target audience being primarily what i would I felt instinctively was uh, an agnostic audience at best. I fought shy of that, mm. but um, if you want to go ahead and do it, you can. <laughs> <laughs> yep, fair enough. Yep, good point. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, you, it's a very difficult thing that you've done, and I, th- and I do think that you've managed to pull it off excellently. So I'm going to repeat. Please, folks, go and check that out. I'll be able to embed it, of course, within the website uh, with your permission, and uh, people will be able to watch it very easily. Just go through to the show notes and watch it straight there, if I may. Mm, please do. Great. Well, thank you ever so much, Tony, for telling me about the movie and uh, sending me the, uh, the password so that I could watch it in medium quality, which uh, I enjoyed <laughs> very much. And uh, it's great to speak to you again. Thanks very much. Likewise, Julian. All the best. And you. Cheers. See you God then. Best. Thanks for talking to me. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.